Good morning. Welcome to Maplecrest. Last Sunday I was speaking about uh, a few different things, and in the talk I, talked, I was talking about how we don't know all of Jesus. And I tried to surprise everybody by talking about Jesus' tattoo. And really the reason I wanted to speak about Jesus' tattoo was because it was our first service in Park Theatre, and I thought talking about tattoos would be really appropriate. Um, but I was talking about uh, the, t- the tattoo on his thigh as he comes with dipped in blood and riding a horse and all this stuff that we don't normally think about. And it's kind of terrifying to think about it. And in the message I was saying to everybody, I was like, if you, you'd be really terrified to see Jesus this way if you didn't know that he was a good God. And it made me feel a little irresponsible as a pastor because I didn't want to terrify people. Um, and so I thought today uh, I would talk about the goodness of God and why the book of Revelation is set up the way it is. It doesn't really want you to start at Jesus' tattoo. It wants you to start at the throne of God. And so I'm going to start there. I'm going backwards. Sorry about that. I hope everybody who was here last Sunday came back this Sunday and weren't terrified. Um, I'm a psychologist, and in my clinic, I sometimes um, deal with individuals who have psychotic breaks or have psychosis and schizophrenia, hear voices, uh, have paranoia, uh, see things that aren't really happening, like see meaning in things that aren't really all that meaningful. And... uh, So they come to me, and it's just really interesting because they're constructing faith from nothing, from a place of no faith. They're like, Cyrus, why did this happen? Is this meaningful? And I feel this conflict inside of me between being a psychologist and being a pastor. And so it's one of the toughest things I have to do, you know, in my own belief system is, you know, managing what to say to these people who are experiencing uh, sometimes meaningful coincidences, meaningful uh, touches from the Spirit, um, and sometimes just having psychosis. Uh, and that's hard to distinguish and pray for me that I would have good discernment around that. But it's just, what the point I wanted to make was it's really interesting watching people construct faith from nothing. And the, the uh, assumptions that they make and the uh, feeling that they get about their spirituality. One of them even said to me, Cyrus, why does everybody with schizophrenia believe that the forces out there that are talking to them are evil? Why is it always negative? And I thought that was really interesting. He's like, why are the voices always negative? Why don't they ever say anything nice to you? Why don't they ever say anything kind? And, and you could get into the spiritual reasons for that, potentially. But it was also interesting because I, another person, I challenged them, and they had something positive to happen. I was like, this was positive. You found something. It was, like, valuable to them. They found it on the street. And they, you know, they, they had a blessing happen to them in a very meaningful, coincidental way. And I pointed to it, and I said, does this mean that maybe there are good forces as well? And they said, no. <laughs> it's just like, no. It was a trick. It's <laughs> still negative. They're all out to get me. And, and they kind of actually just ignored me when I said that to them. And it, it's made me understand and believe that when people encounter spiritual forces, we come to them with the assumption of negativity. We come to them with the human framework of fear and paranoia. When we experience God, our automatic response is offense, fear, protecting ourselves, um, and we, we feel like the forces are out to get us. And this is the big complaint about God when you go into the secular world. The big complaint is, is God good? 
And I believe that comes from this just instinct that we have, this natural mind of, or the lie of the devil. There's something that's like original in this where we just don't naturally trust or believe that God is good because negative things happen and we really pay attention to those negative things and they become more meaningful to us. So I believe that if you don't maintain your revelation of God's goodness, you will naturally slip and slide, sometimes noticeably, sometimes without you perceiving it, into a place where God isn't good anymore. The revelation of Jesus' goodness is for those who seek it and maintain it. It is the jewel that is given to people who seek after God. It's not hidden, but it is hidden because it's, it's not obvious to the natural mind. God's kind of displaying it everywhere. I'm like, well, it's warm today. Oh, that's not them. The real forces are out to get me. They don't, we don't naturally see the positivity. And so today, I want to focus on that because it's a miracle to believe that God is good. It's God revealing that to you. You don't naturally pick up that God's good. God told you that he's good. Jesus, I pray that as we start this new journey post-COVID in park, that our church would have a primary pillar of God's goodness. That we would be a church that would reveal your beauty in the name of Jesus. One of the best descriptions, maybe the best description of God's goodness is his throne room. It's the most beautiful place in existence. The best description, the most complete anyway, is Revelation 4. The beginning of Revelation, the revelation of Jesus. He wants you to start with understanding who he is. And if you're going to understand Jesus, you need to understand his glory. And it's not just in Revelation 4. God's throne is throughout scripture. It's scattered And so it's there for people who want to seek it out. I'll give you a few examples. Matthew 25, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. It's not just the Father's throne. Right there is Jesus' throne beside him. They sit together, sometimes stand. Hebrews 4, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Ephesians 2, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, when we were God's enemies, I added that, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We will sit with him. And it's talking about this place. We're going to sit with him in the throne room. And some people are already there sitting with him. Human beings sitting in God's throne throne room. We have access to the throne. When we worship, we are creating the dynamics of the throne room here on earth. We are entering. We are entering into heavenly places. God gives us symbols. If we look at his throne room, he has given us symbols of his throne room on earth. And when we recreate the dynamics of heaven here on earth. That's what we're here to do. We're supposed to bring the dynamics of heaven to earth. And so when we worship, we're creating the dynamics 
of the throne room. It might be weird to speak about God's beauty. It might be weird to your ears to hear that. It's a primary reality to look at his beauty, to see his glory and how perfect he is. Psalm 27. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I... Come on, Mr. iPad. Where'd you go? There we go. That I... That I will dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. David's heart's desire was to gaze on his beauty. Moses wanted to see his face. We were made to look at his beauty. Everything is easier when it's beautiful. Have you ever thought of that? Isn't that strange? Why is it easier to work in an office that's designed well? Just beautiful, has nice paintings. It's like proven in psychology. Why? It makes no sense that when something is symmetrical, we get more work done. Like, think about that. I mean, it's so natural that that's the case. That, oh, I would like a nice office so I can be more efficient and feel better. But why is that even close to being a reality for a human being? Why, if something is a color that matches a color, do we... Can't stop me. Why, if something is the color that matches another color, why is that all of a sudden something that helps our psychology, that helps us to be happier? We were made for beauty. We were made to be fascinated by God's glory. That's why. He's created it in our hearts. In Revelations 4.2, it goes through the different aspects of God's throne room. And each piece is short and needs to be mined in order to get the most out of it that you can. And there's, there's good descriptions in different places. So I'd encourage you to go and seek this out in Daniel chapter 7, Isaiah 6, Ezekiel 1. There's three parts to look at, at how he describes his throne. There's the beauty of God, his person, in verse 3. There's the beauty of his people, in verse 4. And there's the beauty of his power, in verse 5. And each part has different pieces to it. In God's beauty, there's his appearance like jasper. He looks like a diamond. He looks like a sardius stone. He's got this deep red color in him. He has a rainbow around him of green. There's these parts to this, and each is deeply meaningful. It's not just supposed to be, oh, okay, so there's a rainbow, let's move on. There's people around him on thrones. 24 elders are sitting on, around him in thrones. I don't know the exact locations, but they're around. I believe the best argument, and the majority view these people as real people. They're not angels on these thrones, sitting around. And there's pieces to them that are described. There's the fact that they're on a throne. They are robed, and they have crowns. And in front, of, in front of the throne, there's his power. There's lightning and thunder coming out from, in, from him. There is the seven spirits of God, of flames of fire. 
There's a sea of glass mingled with fire. There's a river coming out from the front of the throne. A river of fire. So let's start with the beauty of God's person. Verse 3, and this is Revelation 4, verse 3. And, he's, and he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian. So jasper is a diamond, carnelian is this red stone like a ruby. And around the throne was a rainbow and had the appearance of an emerald. So jasper. The Bible actually tells us what jasper looks like in Revelation 21.10. He describes it like clear, a clear diamond. In fact, the entire city of Zion, the entire city of God that's going to come, actually has the appearance of jasper. It's going to look like a crystal. It's going to look like multifaceted diamond. Can you imagine a city... I'm just going to describe this city to you for a minute. I had a whole talk on this city and the size of this city. It's enormous. It goes into space. If you were to sit it on the earth, most of it would be in space. I'll say more about that later. It's enormous and it's a diamond. You think there's diamonds are big now? We think of like a big diamond as going on your ring, on your finger. Imagine a city as big as Texas. Psalm 104, he wraps himself in light. He clothes himself in light. You look at him and you can just see the diamond. You can't really see him because he's covered in light. We are going to get to look behind the light. Daniel had a picture. He saw hair. He's like, there's white woolen hair. I saw the hair, people. It was wrapped in light. I couldn't see the face, but around it was hair. Moses saw his back. We are going to see him face to face. What a privilege. Covers himself with a garment. This light. Jesus is sitting there. He's like the Father. His face is like the Son. He's got his own brilliance. And just like there's lightning coming out from the Father, Jesus is pictured sometimes as having lightning coming out from his hands as his redemptive work on the earth. Jesus is sitting there looking like the Father. He's going to make us look like him too. The saints are going to be able to worship him face to face. 1 Corinthians 13, 12. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Daniel 7. As I looked, thrones were placed. The Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothes were as white as snow, and his hair was pure wool, and the throne was a fiery flame. He couldn't look. He saw like the bottom, he saw the hair, but he couldn't see the middle. We're going to see it. So there's this brilliance, this light coming out from him. Then there's this red sardius stone, this consuming fire. Jesus, is, God is pictured as a consuming fire. And when he talks about his consuming fire, he's talking in the context in the Bible about jealousy. Not human jealousy, where you are doing it out of weakness and greed. Jealous, and it's not technically, envy means wanting something that doesn't belong to you. Jealousy means wanting something that actually belongs to you. Jealous for your bride. Jealous for your groom. We're his. 
He wants us. He's got this burning heart. Don't listen to the devil who says you don't matter. He says he doesn't care. Be afraid, if anything, not of his lack of care, but that he loves you so much. If you only saw his red heart, you should be afraid. He wants you so much. It's going to burn. But fortunately, there's this rainbow around him of mercy, this green rainbow, probably picturing life. Green is this picture of life. It's by his mercy that we even exist. This rainbow is mercy. I mean, we look at the rainbow as like faithfulness to his promise because of Noah and the rainbow coming as a promise. But the rainbow to Noah was also mercy. It was mercy that God said, I'm not going to destroy you. It's because of his mercy that we even exist, that we have anything green. It's because of his mercy. Life only exists because he's patient. By rights, we shouldn't be here. Shouldn't exist. But for his mercy. So you have this picture of his heart and this restraint of the mercy. It's like, oh, I'm a consuming fire, but I won't consume you. He's got a burning heart. The, the beauty of his goodness is only for those who want to reach out and take it. To everyone else. They're confused. They see him and they get offended. But to those who are willing to go and dig, you see his goodness, his beauty, his love. Moses wanted to see his beauty. Moses cried out in Exodus 33, let me see your glory, your beauty. And he says back, in the context of him showing himself to Moses, he says, I am long-suffering. If you want to see me, you are going to see mercy. That is who I am. Overflowing goodness. So there's this God in the middle with Jesus beside him, very looking very similar. And then you have these, the people are there. 24 elders. You could get into that. Why 24? 12 tribes of Israel, 12 apostles. I don't know. Maybe. They're sitting on these thrones. They have crowns on their heads and they're robed. They, let's start with the thrones. They are enthroned. That's just like a lifetime of preaching right there. That human beings, God's enemies, are enthroned. Who enthrones their enemies? The only reason leaders give away power is so that nobody will hurt them. It's like, I need a general to protect me. I just conquered you, but I don't want you to fight back, so I'll give you something. Or, I'm a human being, so I can't do everything, so I'm going to make some leaders, because I can't do it all myself. God has none of those problems. He's not worried about anybody attacking him. He doesn't have to appease the rebels. The opposition. There's no opposition party that he's worried about. There's no leader of the official opposition. He doesn't have to worry about any of that. And he doesn't need leaders to do his work for him. It's not a a strategy to make things easier for him. Oh, I need these leaders. There's so much to do. Can you imagine God sitting there? Oh, there's so much to do. Can you do this for me? That's not God. He's not doing it because he needs help. He enthrones us. And he doesn't even need to. Nobody even does it on earth. And we need to. He doesn't, and he enthrones his enemies. 
says in Romans that we are God's enemies. And then he redeemed us to himself. And he puts us in positions of authority in heaven. We are robed. These elders are robed. It's a sign of this priestly position. The the priests had robes. So they're these human beings robed in their priests, which means that we connect, these people connect other people and creation to God. They bring God in. You're a priest. You bring God to the earth. In pre-service prayer, we were bringing God to Winnipeg. We were declaring God over Winnipeg, over Manitoba. We were declaring God over this church. When we pray for people, more happens because we have a priestly ministry. People come, if you want to come to God, one way to do it is to come to a priest. He will connect you. She will connect you with the Father. He wants to work through you. He doesn't need to. More happens. We need to realize this. More happens when we pray, when we face the Father. And we minister to each other and to nature. And we bring God's kingdom. They're crowned. This is not the crown of salvation. This is an Olympic medal. In the Olympics, they had wreaths of crowns of victory. They achieved something. We are saved by grace, but we are rewarded for our deeds. You can get into heaven with the smell of smoke on you. Or you can get into heaven and get a crown. There's different places that you will get. There's so many rewards. This is an amazing area that Christians don't look at. There are different rewards. You will get different levels of light, different tasks, depending on what you do here on earth. You'll get a secret name on a stone. You'll have the Father say, good and faithful servant. Not everybody gets that. And it's not a competition. Everybody can get one. We're supposed to, we actually get more when we help each other. They're not very common, but there's like these cooperative games where you don't have to try to crush each other in the game. Natasha likes them, so I play them. They're kind of fun. I don't know. But anyway, I like competitive games. But there are cooperative ones where if you help each other, you actually get more. And even though it's a very rare game on the earth, that's the game we're in. You will get more by connecting with other believers. God bless you for being here. Not for us, but for you. You will get more if you get the help of the people around you to encourage you, to help you with your faith. We're not not racing against each other. We're racing for his glory. And it's not the big stuff. It is the big stuff. It's the martyrdom and things like that. But it's also, it's primarily, 99%, it's primarily the kind word. It's that fight to be kind, merciful to your, the people around you. The, the small cup of water. The push to be obedient and to love. And he's so generous. We get this lie from the devil that everything you do doesn't matter. You're not, God doesn't care about those small things. You're not the missionary in Africa. You're not on the stage. You don't have the big audience. That's the devil. You are going to be rewarded so much for the small things. His kingdom doesn't work like our kingdom. Don't despise the small movements of your heart towards him. That is the work. The work is not breaking a brick. It might be if you're doing it for him. But the work is the movement of your heart to obey him and to love him. 
1 Corinthians 2, 9. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart has imagined what is prepared for him, for those who love him. We can't even imagine the rewards that he has for us, how generous he's going to be for these things that are so small, if you're faithful in these small things. So they're wearing crowns, they're robed, they're in these thrones. It's just this amazingly beautiful reality for us. It's just one verse. And then there's the beauty of God's power. There's this thunder, not coming at God, but coming out of his throne. Thunder. It's the power of his spirit. When Jesus is pictured as light coming out of his hands, it's redemptive. It's his power to redeem. It's his electricity. People sometimes experience God as being this electric presence in their body. Habakkuk 3, his brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hands. We want his power to be released. And when you see that electricity coming out of his throne, his power is being released. I don't know where it's going, but I think some of it's coming to the earth. And his thunder. Thunder in the Bible is pictured as God's voice. There's these really interesting seven thunders that come in the book of Revelation. And he says, don't write down what they say. We don't know what they say, but there's this powerful message in these thunders that come. Revelation 10. When he called out, the seven thunders sounded. And when the seven thunders sounded, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up what the seven thunders have said. Do not write it down. Psalm 29, the voice of the Lord over, is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. His voice is like thunder. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. It thunders over the water. Some people have heard his voice like thunder in their spirits, in their ears too. When Jesus was ministering one time, a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, I will glorify it again. And the crowd stood there and heard it and said, It thundered. Can you imagine if I was preaching and you guys heard the voice of the Lord and it thundered through here? That's what happened when Jesus preached. His power is beautiful, and then his presence is beautiful, and it spreads out in front of him. The seven lamps, there are seven lamps burning. Now, don't picture like the Aladdin lamp. The largest stadium on earth is in North Korea and can hold 150,000 people. You can see the stage, but you're probably going to look at the jumbotron. It's hard to see. That's only with 150,000 people. Imagine a stadium for a billion people. It's not going to be a little Aladdin lamp. Forgive me, Lord, if it is. But I don't believe it's going to be a little Aladdin lamp. The size of everything in the throne room is enormous. Like the walls of the city go into space. The city's height is 1,500 miles. Space starts at 300 and inside this, there is this throne room, this stadium for a billion or a few billion people. These lamps, think of them more like pillars of fire, miles wide, miles and miles high, burning in front of the Lord. There's a sea of glass, there's this glass everywhere. 
We're standing on this glass and there's fire on top of it, mingling with the glass. In Revelation 15, I saw what appeared to be sea of glass mingled with fire. I picture these pillars moving over the sea of glass. There's billions of people, this fire coming on over the glass. These pillars of fire, which are pictured as the spirits of God, like the manifestations of God's spirit, seven different types. They go through this different types in Isaiah, and I just imagine these pillars of fire going out over God's people, and people just being hit with the spirit of God. This is not a boring church. This is an amazingly powerful church. People are swept away by the spirit of God. There's a river of fire. It's not pictured in Revelation 4. But there's a river of fire. I think it was Daniel who saw it coming out from the front. There's fire everywhere. You're going to be on fire on the sea of glass. Yeah, Daniel 7, verse 10. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. Thousands and thousands ministered before him. And tens of thousands times tens of thousands stood before him. Then there's these strange creatures which are pictured again and again in the Bible and people discuss whether they're cherubim or seraphim or, or whatever. They've got, one's got, they've got four faces, a lion, a calf, a man, and an eagle. These are the four different ways that we can relate to God in a fearless way with the lion as a servant, with the ox, the dignity of a human being. Can you believe it that we are pictured as dignity? Like we actually can enter into places other people can't enter. Jesus became a human being. That's how powerful our frame is. And an eagle soaring above with this supernatural dimension. And these creatures are before the throne saying, holy, holy, holy. They're not saying, I mean, it says it, say, they say it all the time, but I don't think they say it all the time because every time they say it, the people get knocked over. So I think they have to get back up. So I think there's times when the elders are standing and then they say this, it's like this wave or something happens. And these Cherubim are like, holy, holy, holy. And then everybody falls down. You wonder why people fall down. It's like, it's happening all the time in heaven. People fall over. It's overwhelmed. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. It's exhilarating. We are there. We can go before the throne. He gives pictures. He gives them to earth. The rainbow of Noah was there in heaven before. God wants to bring his kingdom down to us and show it to us. He wants us to be a part of it. We need to understand God's goodness. It's not just going to happen. You need to pray for God to give you wisdom and revelation of the knowledge of his goodness in your heart. We need to be in his presence. We need to face his goodness and we need to tell him how good he is. Not because he doesn't know it or because he's a narcissist. We have to tell him he's good because it awakens our hearts. It's good for us. There's joy in declaring his character to him. Father, you are so merciful. Father, you are so beautiful. That's my favorite one. God, you are so beautiful. I don't know why it touches me, but it's like, God, you're so beautiful. So glorious. No one can understand 
how beautiful you are. His understanding his goodness is a gift. And if you can root yourself and ground yourself in his goodness, then when you see something that naturally offends, you'll be like, but Lord, you're beautiful, and I know you're beautiful. I love you. I will not be confused. You did this for love. Everything that you do that looks offensive to me, you do it for love and for goodness, because that's who you are. Can I have the worship team come up? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your goodness. I thank you that you make music stands adjustable. I thank you for your graciousness and your beauty. And I pray, Lord, that you would make this place the throne room of heaven. You don't want to keep it a secret. You don't want to keep it to yourself. You made it for us to come into. You made the glass really big so all of us can come and be overwhelmed by your presence. Lord, I pray again that Maplecrest would be a picture of your throne room, that we would be abandoned worshipers, and that you would do it, not out of our flesh, but Lord, that your spirit would come in here. It's already here, but that your power would come, your lightning and your thunder and your fire, and it would inflame our hearts, that it would inflame our eyes and our ears, that our minds would be overcome. Let's enter into worship together. Thank you, Cyrus. God bless you. You're so beautiful. God is so 